from Bayside Church International Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. Good morning. All right, awesome. Okay, we are in the middle of a preaching series called Adventures in Glory and Grace. We are looking at the book of Exodus and looking at some of the major themes through that book. We're calling it a preaching series as opposed to a teaching series, which might be semantic of me, but if we call this a teaching series, I'd be focusing on different things. There is so much in the book of Exodus. It is so rich with typology. It is so rich with types and shadows, things that the New Testament or the first century scriptures will later on say, if you read those types and shadows, the substance points to Jesus. We could do a whole other series through the book of Exodus just on the type of shadows, types and shadows. We could spend time looking at Moses himself, who was a prophet just like Jesus who was to come. We could look at the Passover lamb and the wonderful significance of that. And we're not going to, as much as I love preaching on that, I could do that, no problems with my eyes closed. As much as we could do that, we're not going to do that. We could look at the waters of baptism. The fact that the people, as they came through the waters, were baptized into Moses, the body of Moses, Corinthians says, as we are baptized into the body of Christ, cut off from our enemy by the power of water baptism. We could look at the plagues and the things that the plagues represented, the certain enemies of Egypt that those plagues represented. We could look at manna and the pillar of fire and the rock that Moses struck. All these things are pictures of Jesus, who the substance of which is fulfilled in him. We could look at the principle of the firstborn. The firstborn plague was because Jesus said, Israel is my firstborn son. I'm going to take Pharaoh's firstborn. Jesus comes along and he is God's firstborn son. And so there's all these types in there. And then there's the sanctuary and the tabernacle and the way they worship and all the utensils and the candles and the way the things laid out. And then there's the high priest and how Jesus fulfills that high priestly ministry. And then there's all the festivals, all the festivals that happen during the year at different times of the moon and and, uh, the daily and the night sacrifices. And all of that is fulfilled in Christ because in the new covenant, there is no longer a sun or a moon for the lamb as it's our light. Because the sun indicated in the Old Testament, the sun showed the daytime and the nighttime offerings. That's why you needed the sun. The moon showed which season of the year it was and which festival you were celebrating. But in the new covenant, the the sun and the moon don't matter. The lamb is our lamp. He is our light. He is the one we live for. So he fulfills all that and all the festivals are fulfilled in him. But we're not even going to look at that. And then you've got the whole thing of covenant. The whole wonderful thing about the Abrahamic covenant and then the law covenant that came at Sinai. And you know I could preach that back to front and have done all around the world. But I'm not going to do that. (sighs) Because we are looking at a preaching series. And all that's way too serious. Um, No, we're doing a preaching series. We're looking at some of the major themes and hopefully getting very practical in what we do. I guess I wanted to do a bit of a rant there just to explain that there is so much depth in the scripture that you read. And yes, there is so much more we can do. And, uh, but we've chosen to go down this course for seven weeks. We're doing a series called Adventure in Glory and Grace. For the first week, we were in Mother's Day. We did Saved by the Bell as a bit of a prelude. You remember that? It's online. In week one, we looked at Moses, man with a mission. Moses and Aaron on a mission from God. And we looked at their mission that God gave them in the second week. Week two, we said, show me your ways. And we looked at some of the ways that Moses 
learnt ways of God that uh, he learnt in his life. In week three, Rob was up here and we looked at the Red Sea and freedom and don't lose your nerve and breaking chains and all sorts of things were taking place. Last week, Jay was up here and we were looking at glorious encounters by burning bush experiences. And today, I have the privilege of speaking on the subject of leadership lessons. And that was the response I was kind of expecting. (laughs) I don't know if this will ever come as a surprise to you, but I'm a male. And personally... I will never menstruate or experience menopause. And why they have the, name, the word men in there, I don't know. I don't know what it's got to do with us. But it is still good for me to know about those things. Because even though I may not experience them firsthand, I will live, I will be close to people that do, and those things will have some type of effect and significance in my life through close secondhand experience. I got a DVD last month from America. It's a young American girl, uh, young, she's in her uh, late 20s. And she's a movie producer. Her name's Cassie J. Spelt like J's name, J-A-Y-E. And she made a documentary um, on the men's rights movement in America. And I heard about this because people over here in Australia wanted to show it and they were shut down and violent threats were put against them and the whole thing was protested against. And so, of course, what does that do? It makes you go, hmm, I want to see that. (laughs) And I'll see that for myself before I make judgments. On that, and so I ordered a copy, and I looked at it, and I thought as I ordered this, I thought this. I knew enough about it to know it was. She was researching issues that face men, and I thought, well, this might be good. I might watch this, and this might be something good to show other blokes. Within two minutes of watching it, I realised, no, 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 it's addressing issues that face men, but this is something that should be watched and viewed by both genders. Because while none of us, not, while half of us will never be men, okay, all of us walk... <laughs> yeah, come on, girls, get your own back, come on! Um, will never be men, you will nevertheless be connected with men in some form or capacity for the rest of your life and it will be helpful for you to understand some of the issues pertaining particularly to males. Why do I say that? Two illustrations to make the same point. Sometimes in the scripture we come across this subject of leadership or a pastor like me makes an announcement, puts a thing on the screen and the response isn't so great because some of us think, well, this has got nothing to do with me. Not one of them. Doesn't matter. This is for someone else. But in the same way that I will never be a female, most half of you will never be a male, all of us 
will in some way for the rest of our lives have relationships with people to whom this is directly pertinent. And so it is still very good for us to see, learn, understand and have a comprehension about the complexities and the challenges and the, the issues surrounding this thing called leadership. Now, I could get up here and I could actually try to convince all of you that you are leaders. You're called to lead your own life. You're called, most of us, to lead our families. We're called to be leaders in the community. I could do all that and that would be true. And most of you would still not be convinced. So I'd rather paint this picture. Leadership matters and it matters to all of us. And whether it's in the church, whether it's in business, whether it is in our families, whether it's in the community, sporting clubs, school boards, whatever, leadership matters. When I was here in Australia, I go see what's happening in Malaysia, I fly across to Indonesia, back to Australia. One of the main reasons that those countries are so different is not because of the natural landscape, while that contributes. It's not really because of the, the people themselves who live there, although that's obviously a major contributor, one of the things that makes those countries so different is the way that they're led. Government means everything. And so you can, uh, those of us who've been to Singapore, you can take the train across to Johor Bahru, which is in Malaysia, and by a simple train, you can tell within an hour, whoa, I'm in a totally different place. Now, it's only that far away, <laughs> all right? China, like Hong Kong to Shenzhen, it's, which is in mainland China. It's only that far away, but boy, oh boy, you can see the difference that govern, governance or leadership makes. And so I wanted, we decided as we looked at the seven-part series that one of the things we wanted to look at is some of the leadership lessons that we can learn and that Moses learned through the story of Exodus. So I guess I'm saying to you, don't switch off by assuming that this does not relate to me, yes it does. In fact, if we read the scripture or we approach anything to say, this doesn't relate to me, I think we should take a step back and go, gee, that's kind of a self-centered approach to life. Okay? No, I may not face women's issues personally, but I don't just live for me. And I don't live in isolated aloneness it is good for me to understand issues pertaining to women. It was good for me to understand the complexities around things that young people face today. I was uh, doing a, a teenage youth um, uh, session at this camp and the, the question of sexting came up. <clears throat> now, I personally know that I will never experience or be confronted with the challenge or the temptation or the trouble or the pressure in and around the subject of sexting. But I'm glad that I knew something about sexting before I was asked that question. Because had I been completely ignorant, I would have either embarrassed those kids by going, what the heck are you talking about? Okay, My ignorance then making them feel embarrassed or just showing how irrelevant I am to them, Okay, if I'd done that. Or... If I'd had very little understanding of it, I might react with a sense of, again, shame and disgust. Oh, that, what are you talking about? And then also made them feel embarrassed, shut down conversation and not being able to open up that thing. I needed to know something about the phenomenon of sexting, even though that will never impact me personally, because those in my world, it will. Okay, 
I think that's now the third illustration to make the same point. There might be things that never directly relate to you, but it's great for all of us to have a knowledge because we will be rubbing shoulders with people to whom that's particularly pertinent and relevant. Do you understand that? Have I made that clear? Let's open your Bible at Exodus 17, 18. And this time of the year, some of us who run businesses and do bookkeeping are in the finance world. The numbers 17, 18 are going to be all over your radar very soon. Is that right, Leanne? I did that one just for you. 17, 18. All right, happy financial year for uh, those who do finances. The context in Exodus 17, people have just come through the Red Sea. They're starting their journey in the desert on towards the promised land. Uh, things at the moment are going okay. As they make their journey, they've come to the reality that life is not what it was, uh, but they are travelling from place to place. God is providing for them, meeting their needs. And in Exodus 17, verse 1, we see this story uh, about water from the rock. Okay, here we go. Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, You, give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? This is the guy that's just put his life on the line for these people, stood up before Pharaoh, guy could chop his head off, you know, and he's, it's, he put his life on the line for these people, promised a promised land, he knows where they're going, and they're saying, you've just brought us out in the desert here to die. It's a common theme with these, this particular group. Verse 4, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of them, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff, with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa, uh, which means quarrel or testing, and Meribah, which means grumbling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord really among us or not? We don't really appreciate, just in reading the story there, how incredibly relevant this incident is. You don't know until you read Psalm 95 that David looks back and he says it was there, at this story, that the people hardened their heart toward God. And the Hebrews, the guy who writes Hebrews, the, the, the men who write Hebrews in the first century, they look back and they say, don't be like those who harden their hearts at this place. Okay, So it was there that the people hardened their heart towards God. And as you've heard me say many times, after the hardening of their heart, God then gave them the Ten Commandments and the law. And uh, a whole new covenant began. I don't have time to go into that today. But they hardened their heart there in Psalm, or as it says in Psalm 95. This is the place where they did that. This is also the place at this rock where Moses, about a year later because they walk around the mountain a few times, right? They come back to this place. The people again complain, Numbers chapter 20, that there's no water to drink. And God says, well, there's the stone that you struck last time. Just speak to it and the water will flow again. Okay, this is the same place. Just speak to that rock, the water will flow. And by now, Moses was so ticked off, 
that rather than listening to God and speaking to the rock, he took his staff, what worked last time, and he hit the rock again. And water came out. There you go. Speak, strike, doesn't matter. Until he went back to the tent. And God said to him, no, mate. You don't understand the significance of this today, but what you did then was a major mistake. And because of that incident, Moses never ended up going into the promised land. Okay, so this place has, is really important. The people hardened their hearts there. Moses' destiny was basically cut off there. And many of us have read that story and go, Moses ripped off, mate. Okay, God completely ripped Moses off there after being faithful to him for years. One little mistake, and that was it for Moses. Isn't God being a bit harsh? Okay, Chad's thought that. You haven't because you think <laughs> you're so pure, right? Um, then, no, Moses was ripped off. But then it's not until we read in the first century that we realize why that was so significant because that rock was always going to be a picture of Jesus who at the cross was only struck once. Okay? Jesus would only die once. So for Moses to strike that thing twice would be sending a bad signal in the type and the shadow that God wanted to have in the first century. Okay? Jesus would only die once, and from there on, our job is to speak and say, what was done? Yes, all God's promises are yes in Christ, because he was struck for me. My job is to speak and say, amen, so be it, so be it, so be it. So Moses threatened in his second strike, a year or so later, to ruin that picture that God had been setting up for eons. Oh, come on, Moses. I've set up this great picture, mate, and you just wrecked it, okay? So I need to do something so that people understand, no, you weren't meant to strike it. It sounds harsh for you, okay? I'm sorry for that. You're not going to enter the promised land, but people need to know that was wrong. And that's teaching that we weren't going to do because that's part of the other Exodus series. So, in this story, anyway, that was all for free. One of the things we learn here in Exodus 17, and it's something that we see all the way through the history of this people, is that whilst coming out of Egypt was almost instant. It took a night time, but whatever. It basically was an overnight thing. Whoa! Overnight. They were in Egypt. Now they're not. Bam. It, it was an overnight change. It was not so immediate for Egypt to come out of them. Okay? Joyce Meyer, so many other teachers in the past have really emphasized this to us. Okay? They brought this message to the church. It was immediate for the people to come out of Egypt, but it's a whole other thing for Egypt to come out of them. And so one of the lessons that Moses would learn in his leadership capacity is that conflict and clashes and confrontation would be a consistent challenge that he would face. Conflict, clashes and um, confrontations. Because the fact is that leadership is all about providing a path for people to go somewhere that they've never been before. Moses had already encountered God last week. Mm -hmm. Moses had been to the mountain, he'd encountered God He'd seen him face to face. Nobody else had. Moses had been there 
and had come back from that experience to say, please come with me, this is freaking awesome. Basically, it's in the Hebrew, right? Come back with me, this is awesome. Let's come and meet with God together. He's leading the people to a place that they've never been before because you might remember that while people have seen signs and wonders and miracles and, and uh, Rod's telling the snakes and all the plagues and whatever else, they actually haven't heard God's voice yet. Now, these people haven't met with God yet himself. They've, Moses has been the, the, the face of God. He's been the mediator for them. They haven't met with God yet, and that's all God wants. He wants these people to meet with him personally. Okay? So Moses' job is to lead them, is to pioneer a path for them to follow, a place where he has been and is wanting to take them. And that is where a lot of clashes and conflict can take place when you can see something that other people can't see yet and it's not necessarily a conflict in relationships sometimes it's just a conflict in in thinking and thoughts and motivation and then those of you who own businesses and you lead your business you know this you can you can see how how great this business can be you can see how important it is and you've got staff members that just keep dragging their feet they just don't own it as much as you People, that, volunteers in certain groups that you might run, they turn up late, they don't show, they don't let you know, and uh, they don't do their job. Oh, it's not that important. And you're there as the leader, as the, as the pioneer, as the person who, I know the picture of what I want and I know how this can work. And, and people keep dropping. There's this conflict of my level of passion and commitment with their level of passion and commitment. And in a sense, that's just how it is in some ways. Because in some ways, people can't see what they haven't seen yet. And a leader's job is to help take people, provide a pathway to go and see something. And in the meantime, to say, just trust me, just trust me, trust me, come on, come on, just trust me. And uh, please keep coming and trust me because I've seen something that I want you to see. Some of you have this conflict with your adult children or with your teenage children, our teenage children, because we see potential in them. We see, we, we've seen something of life that they haven't seen yet. And we want them to walk down that path. And the clash and the conflict of them not cooperating with that at times can be a frustration to us because, oh, can't you just see what I've seen? And this conflict, this clash, this confrontation, because it's not all about being nasty. I'm not trying to illustrate that. It's just different ways that people think, okay, a lot of the time. That is a constant challenge of those who lead. And whether you're leading children whether you're leading in a business, when you have something and you're wanting to bring other people with you, face the fact that one of the challenges you will face is in the conflict and clash of people that don't quite see things the same as you. Yet. And this is the wonderful thing, and this is a whole another thing for another day, where Moses, in his era of leadership, had the minority of people with him. And the majority were a bunch of whingers and complainers. By the next generation, Joshua's leadership, he had a different vibe happening. Because the majority of the people that were, with, were actually with him. So even they hadn't seen the promised land yet, they were keen and ready to go. Okay? So it's not like uh, every leader is going to have a situation where the majority of people won't follow them. That's not, that's not the picture at all in the scripture. It just happens to be this generation here. There are other pictures where people are with you. The fact is, as a leader, we face the challenge of owning the vision more than others. In one sense, it has to be that way because there needs to be that drive of leading forward. But in another sense, it is a challenge we need to 
come to terms with and pastor through well. I also see in this story the issue in this clash that at the end of the day, a lesson that Moses had to learn, a lesson that I've also had to learn in my experience, is that God here in this place held Moses accountable for not responding to his voice and it was here that he held the people accountable to not responding to his voice. I didn't say that very clear. In leadership, you're responsible to people, but you're not ultimately responsible for people. Some of you with adult kids, you know as a parent, you're responsible to them. You're responsible to parent them. You're responsible to give them advice. You're responsible to be there for them. You're responsible to them, but ultimately you're not responsible for them. And you're accountable for the things that God has told you to do. Moses, strike the rock. Moses, speak to the rock. I'm holding you accountable to what I've said to you. But at the same time, those who you lead, God is also will hold them accountable to what he's saying to them. And so at this same place where God said, Moses, I told you to speak, not strike, mate, is the same place where God said, you hardened your hearts and that day I hold you accountable for that decision. God did not hold Moses accountable for the condition of those people's hearts because that was their choice. And it is one of the challenges of leadership. It's one of the challenges of being a parent. It's one of the challenges of any role like that when you know I'm not responsible for them. And if I, if I wanted to control people, I would love to control them and make them go that way. But ultimately, they are responsible for their attitudes, their behaviour, their conduct. And although it might hurt me to watch them walk that path, I need to go to bed at night to go, Lord, I've done what you've told me to do. Okay? So lesson leadership, leadership lesson number one is that conflict and clashes, confrontation, are a consistent challenge with those. God will hold me accountable for the way I respond to his voice, not how other people respond. And I think that's interesting. Moses did not, was not barred from going into the promised land because the people's issues. He was barred from going in because of his decision. Okay? They didn't go in because of their decision. And this is the wonderful thing of the, the scripture. You can have a fantastic leader. I don't think anyone can be better than God. And yet his adult children made a decision to take fruit that he asked them not to take. Not God's fault. I don't think you get a better human leader than Jesus. Yet he was not accountable for the decision made by a man called Judas. But hang on, how, how could that happen when Jesus is the good shepherd? Jesus, must be something wrong with your leadership, mate. You didn't do a good enough job with this guy. No, I did my bit. He did his. We're each accountable and responsible for our own decisions. And it's one of the challenges of leadership, is understanding that that clash and confrontation can take place. Moving on. Chapter 17, 
verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. There's some more confrontation. Moses says to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight them. Tomorrow I'll stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one or the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Rob. You are Joshua. Tiffany, you're one of his soldiers. You can handle that. Just stay there. That's okay. You're just backing him up. Trevor, come here. Take your jacket off, mate. You can do it. Jeff, Craig, come on. These guys have got so much warning on this. It's unbelievable. Come here, Trevor. Why don't you thank our volunteers, quote... <laughs> Down here, put, put this, you're Moses. Quite, quite clearly. That's not, not bad at all. Okay, and here's your staff, mate. Well, well done. That's very good. That's very good. So here's the picture Joshua's down here um, fighting the Amalekites. And as long as Moses has his staff in the air, Joshua's winning. But when the old guy gets tired and his arm goes down, Joshua's losing. And so they sit him down on a blue chair and Aaron and her have to hold the old guy's hands up. And as long as they do that, this guy's winning. But when they drop his hands, this guy starts losing. So they lift his hands up again. And Joshua wins. And they do this all Sunday, even though everyone went home. So there you go. Goodbye. And you guys can just stay there like that. As long as these guys played their part, it says, the last verse says that Joshua defeated the Amalekites. Now, who defeated them? All of them. At the end of the day, it sounds like Joshua in the last verse got the credit. Joshua defeated them. But like a football team, it might only take one guy to kick the goal, but everyone has a part to play to get that ball through those pins. Okay? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Moses. Wonderful job. Come on, give them a proper Aaron and her. Thank you. Thank you very much. The second basic lesson is this. Collaboration is king. Collaboration. Cooperation. Working together, leadership working together is absolutely king and core principle. If there's a leadership lesson that I've learned, it's that every person's part is critical for victory and thank God we all share in the reward. And you might look at Aaron Donnelly over here and think, gee, he played a pretty minor role. Can you imagine Aaron up here looking down at Josh and Tiffany sweating, sweating down there to defeat the Amalekites and go, oh, well, they, they seem to know what they're doing. Oh, you know, what, what do I do? This, not that big a deal. 
No, 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 excuse me, that is a big deal. Mate, you playing your bit, holding up the old guy's hands, letting him do... All he's doing is sitting on a stone, right? Come on, he's sitting on a stone! Yet he needed to play his bit in order for Josh to succeed in his bit. No matter how insignificant it may be, collaboration is king. Cooperation is absolutely key and every one of us has a part to play to win victories in the kingdom of God. And so this week, as I'm preaching... (laughs) Six hours in Malaysia, eight hours in, in Medan, writing a book, going back into, into Malaysia. And I'm preaching, building churches, establishing resources to reach the world. As all that is happening, I may be kicking goals, but every one of you is playing a part to see that happen. The money you put in the buckets that week paid for my salary so I could hide away in a hotel writing a book. You paid a part, part of that, part of part, in that. Some of you, I can't say all of you, I don't know, but I'm sure some of you were lifting your hands and praying for me last week. Yeah? That, those of you who were here serving last week, who were preaching, ministering, allowing this service to go on, keeping church healthy and whole. You know what? This whole thing about Chad traveling however many weeks out of the year, this is a core thing that we as a church own. That's us going. That's us working together. That's us as a church ministering into the nations. We're a part of that. And I may only be doing this. I might only be holding up an old guy's hands. He might be the one sweating down there in the trenches. But we are winning this together because I understand all of us have a role to play. Amen? So when it comes to leadership lessons, Moses had to learn that. And it was almost by default. I don't think he asked Aaron and her to help. I think they just saw a need and met it. Collaboration is king when it comes to working and fighting victories and winning together. Amen? And we all read the reward of that. Last passage, Exodus 18. Moving on to the next chapter. Verse 13. I'm going to read quite a bit of this um, last half of the chapter here. The next day, I'm quite warm up here now. And I wasn't even doing any of the fighting, mate. You must be exhausted down there. The next day, Moses, verse 13, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning to evening. When his father-in-law saw that all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, hang about, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have an issue, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. That's my job. People come to me, they want to know what God's word is and how to apply it to their situation. So this is what I'm doing. How noble. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. It sounds like the, the will of God, doesn't it? I'm teaching people the scripture. <laughs> I'm helping people with their problems. Jethro says, not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't do it on your own. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. Nothing like an in-law to give you advice you haven't asked for, huh? Oh, that not... Oh, sorry, Ruth's here today. That's terrible. That actually does not happen at all. Uh, Listen, (laughs) I just had to throw that out there to make sure you're listening. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. This is your primary job, Moses. Pray for the people. 
Number, verse 20, teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties that they are to perform. Listen, your primary priority, mate, should be to pray for people, preach the word and model to them what my, this lifestyle looks like. Verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring the most difficult cases to you, the simple ones they can do themselves. They will make your load lighter because they can share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult ones they brought to Moses, but the simple cases they decided themselves. And thus ends chapter 18. Jethro's advice was simple. And I obviously jest about it being un, un, uninvited, but this is a man that, remember, Jethro had basically mentored Moses for 40 years. Okay, Moses had left Egypt. He was trained in Egypt. He went to Midian. Jethro welcomed him. Marry my daughter. Yep, all good. You can work for me, mate. Okay, so these guys have a working father-son relationship. It's basically like his adopted dad. So it was a father-in-law, not a distant father-in-law. This was a close relationship of 40 years of credibility that they had. Jethro gives him advice that Moses, at the end of the day, could not be face-to-face -face and one-on-one -on -one with everyone, and this is what you need to do. Another lesson that Moses, I believe, learnt, confrontation classes, all those things are, can, can be sort of expected and consistent in various forms. Number two, collaboration is king. And number three... That clear communication, clear communication is critical. I'll get to the fourth one later, which is related. But clear communication. What I see here is Jethro giving very clear advice. This is what you should do, mate. Point people like this, 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 and this. And you tell them this, this, this is their job. Clearly communicate that to people and things will be fine. You see, in the previous story, with, Moses, with Aaron and her lifting up his hands, in that scenario, those men kind of just walked into that role. Crikey, we see a need, we better do something about it, let's do it. This is like an unspoken, needs meet to be met, let's just do something about it. As Moses is growing in his leadership, he realized, you know what, I need to get more people on board, and it's not just an ad hoc thing, I'll just, just, just do whatever, lift whatever hand you see, Actually, I need to actually clearly communicate to people, this is your task, this is not, please focus on this, this needs to be done, thank you very much. So clearly communicating is critical. As this team grows, more specific communication is required. And I've certainly learned that, and those of you in business, as your business has grown, you know, when you're a business owner and you start from scratch, you basically do everything. You run around, you do everything, and you start to bring on people and they just fill in the gaps. And, and, and your wife's doing the bookkeeping, or, or, or someone in the family's doing that, and then your sons end up doing this, and this person's doing this, and it's all kind of filling the gaps. But when you've got 20 or 30 staff members coming in, you can't just operate like that anymore. Things need to be far more clear, and things need to be communicated well. When you're a small group, things are communicated around the dinner table because you're just family working on the go. But as you've got a bigger team of people doing different tasks, 
communication is absolutely critical. And that's certainly been my experience in 15 years here at Bayside. Small church, starting out, basically just do whatever needs to be done. Small, small group, one, two, three people making decisions, seeing things happen. As things begin to grow, as more things are required to be done, clearer communication is required for a greater number of people to be involved. And that's actually been one of my struggles. Statistically, most churches with the same pastor that starts the church don't grow beyond... The 120 is kind of like a magic number um, in the research. Don't grow beyond about 100, 120. Don't grow beyond that. And it's not because the life of God's not there. It's because the, 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 the guy who's responsible, the guy and the girl, whatever, who's responsible for leading becomes a... What's it called? Yeah, like a bottle stop thing, you know? They become the, the plug, the cork that, that stops the next level of growth. I remember going to a pastor's conference once and, and people were standing up, what, what greatest challenge are you facing? And one of my friends, Finney, got up and he said, the greatest challenge we're facing at the church at this moment is me. Okay. So I, I've realised I'm the biggest hindrance to our church at the moment because I need a change in the way that I deal with things to see the church come into what God wants us and I know I'm becoming the ceiling at the moment that's, my, that's our biggest challenge it's me and I certainly found this certainly found this in the last couple of years of realising that for me personally the whole leadership thing is not as easy for me as ministry stuff and that's my language it's not your, it doesn't have to be yours but as I was chatting it through with someone once I, f- I said you know what ministry for me is really easy I can be as tired as I, as I can get up to preach not a problem Oh, get out to preach any day of the week. That's, uh, that, that doesn't wear me out. It's fun. I enjoy that. I can preach. I can do it. The preaching's fine. But you know what takes my energy I have to really focus on? is actually leading. So I would very easily preach a two-hour sermon and put a sermon together. That's no problem. But for me to sit down and go, I have to call that meeting and ask that person to come and ask that person to come and ask that person to come. That's not Chad's natural thing to do. That takes more energy. And that's not everyone's story because some people, and you know them, they're natural-born leaders. They'll organize everyone. Okay, they'll organise everyone around them. Let's do this. Let's go and do this. You do this. Do this. You know that type of. They're organising everyone. I like being with those people. I don't have to make any decisions. What are, you decide where we go. Yep, that's the restaurant. Absolutely, we go. Um, so, so some of us aren't naturally bent towards that. But this whole situation of understanding, no, no, collaboration, extending. The, the teams that, that make decisions and therefore being clear in the communication of designating and delegating responsibility, it is a key leadership lesson and it's certainly a leadership lesson that needs to be learnt in periods of growth or in preparing for periods of growth. And it's a journey that many of us in the life of our church have been going through and, uh, and, and I hope are, are learning and, and walking through that. The other thing we see here, and this is the last one, in Jethro's advice, is when it comes to those who lead, three significant things. Capacity, choose capable men. Character, men who fear God, hate dishonest gain, etc. And the third thing, and I'll have to reference another scripture for this, but it's still important, is chemistry. Capability, character, and chemistry are key. I didn't want to put all these on a slide because I thought every time you see a C, you might just sigh 
and go, oh God, it's one of those sermons. But they're all in there and I've impressed myself, so that's all that matters. Okay. Um, <laughs> capability is important because at the end of the day, leadership is a task. It's not a title. It's not a token. It's not a seat at the table to be seen or to be heard. It's a job to do to put your hands to work. So ultimately, capability is important because leadership is a task, not a title. It is a job. Leadership responsibility is an invitation to get your hands to work before it's about getting your voice heard. It's about getting your hands to work, being a contributor before uh, uh, as, as a primary importance thing. I take on leadership because I want to serve, not because I want to be seen. I take on leadership because I want to serve, not because I want to be seen. And so capability is very important. And we can talk about how in seasons of life, our capacity and our capability comes and changes. Some of you have been at periods in your life, you read that list, you know, there, were, there were people in charge of tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands, and you think, gee, there was a period of time in my life where I was spinning so many plates, like I was a captain of, a, of thousands, you know, I mean, that was me, I was running that business, I had three kids at home, I was involved in that sporting club, I was serving here in the church, blah, 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 I was involved, and now I'm feeling like I'm at a stage in life where, whew, my capacity is a bit different now. Okay, that's not necessarily an, a, a, a bad thing. That's just acknowledging of how our capacity changes over the time. Some of us are like that. When we were single, we couldn't believe how busy we were. Like we couldn't believe how much we had come up. And then suddenly we got married and we had a baby and we had a mortgage and we had bills and we got to do things. And we watched single people rock up late to things. You're like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? I got here. I've got four kids. Rock up. Because you've realized, it's like Michael, Michael, well, that comedian, what's his name? Michael Morris, Pitt. People without kids don't know. You've got to YouTube that. It's hilarious. And, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. and uh, you, you just realize my capacity has increased. When I was single or when I was a teenager, I thought I was busy. And you know what? You were. You were. You were up to your capacity. You were full in your capacity. You know, staying up to 3 a.m., that's full, right? You're full. And then, but as you, <laughs> but as you, as you grew in your, your capacity also grew. With time, your capacity grew with time. So capacity and capability, something can change. But it's absolutely key for leadership. Leadership in any scenario is not people aren't chosen because just to fill a seat and a board. My goodness, no, this is a working team of people that have a job to do. That's why you watch Vicar Dibley and you watch the church council and part of me is ticking like, no, God, no, 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 this can't be. This can't be. Because it's just tokenistic, people wanting to be seen and heard. But no, capacity... Uh, um, Leadership's a job, so it takes capacity. Number two, it takes character. Character is key. Not only capability, but character, because leadership requires people to trust you. There's other reasons, but leadership requires people to trust you. Leadership involves decision-making authority to be able to say to people, here is how it is, this is where we're going, let's go. And in order for that voice to carry any weight, people need to be able to trust you. And people do not trust you if you've proven yourself to be untrustworthy. So no matter how good a leader you might be, people with any sense of authenticity about them are going to say, not for me, until trust, until, if they choose, to give their hearts to, 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 to build that trust up again. Okay? And so be trustworthy. You are worthy of trust. 
and people will follow when you say, this is where we're going. And so that's one of the reasons that character is a really important thing. Okay, so what do I say this for? Because when Moses was choosing these men, it wasn't just capability, it was also character that was absolutely key because you may be a great leader, but you ain't leading if no one's following you because they don't have no respect for you. Okay? And everyone said, Amen. And so, New Testament, Paul spends a lot of time on that. Lastly, these people that Moses was to choose, thanks to his father-in-law's advice, clearly communicate their tasks, but this is something about them. They needed to be capable. They needed to be people of character. And thirdly, they needed to be chemistry because leading together requires teamwork. And if you just don't vibe, there's no Marbo constitutional vibey flow. It's just not going to work. There needs to be chemistry. And I need to borrow another scripture from another book to illustrate this but I wanted to bring it in even though because it's so important but in Numbers um, chapter 11 Moses sets aside a group of 70 elders to lead with him and the verse I think it's chapter um, 11 16 can you just wake that up on the screen the Lord said to Moses bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people they have a reputation have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put that spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Strictly speaking, I might be taking artistic license here, but just bear with me. Don't stone me. But it does, God is specific in saying, the spirit that's on you I'll put on them. And I see some, something in there about this joint heart, joint chemistry. Um, some of you know that you, of, of any local church that you could be a part of, many good churches, many good leaders, many people that you think they're doing a great work in the kingdom, but you just don't vibe. You just don't share that chemistry. You've got the same Holy Spirit, theologically speaking, I can't get all that. You get, have the same Holy Spirit, but it's like, what's on that person and what I feel like is on me, it just doesn't connect. Okay, There's just not that chemistry. And so Moses is saying, these people are capable, they're people of good character, but they need to have the same spirit as you, mate. There needs to be this joint chemistry. So what's on you, I'm going to be putting onto them. And so chemistry is key in leading together. We know that in any team. You can have, a, you can have the most talented musicians in a worship team, but if there's just no chemistry, it's not vibing, things aren't flowing, then just go home. It's not about having talent. It's not about having capacity only. It's about chemistry of bonding and working together. And so for those of us who have led worship teams, we know sometimes it's not just practicing together or choosing right songs are the most important thing. Sometimes the best thing to do is to have a bonfire and have a wine and cheese night and chat together as friends and actually just get to know each other and be mates. Because chemistry, coming together as friends, can actually help us then cooperate and, and work together. Okay? Trusting and having those spirit encounters together, doing joint exercises together. That's why I think, you know, the more things we can do together as a family, don't turn... There's nothing like shared experiences to unite people and to bring people together. 
There's time, I know some of us, we're about to enter into winter, if we haven't already, and a number of us, us, number of the greyer nomads, will be disappearing in their caravans. I think there's already a good half dozen away as it is. And you know what I love hearing is when you guys get together and share some of your journeys together. I love hearing when people in this church connect together over dinner and barbecues and bonfires and do that of their own. This is a joint, joint shared memory experiences that help with combining a similar chemistry with one another. And if we see ourselves as a team, thanks for visiting those who are visiting, but I'm talking to the Bayside family now. For those, if we see ourselves as a team, give yourself to things that unite us together with similar heart and, and chemistry. Because that, those type of building together opportunities are invaluable in us working together so that more and more you will be able to just lift a hand. You'll notice something that's wrong and you'll say, don't worry, I know how to solve this problem because I'm part of this vibe. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the need here. I'm part of this chemistry. That makes sense? And for those of us who are new to this church family, if you're moving into another church family or whatever, spend time saying, Lord, I love you. I love your word. But if you're calling me to be a planting of the Lord in this house, would you please give me the same heart of this house? I, I, I don't want to come out of my old situation and, see Mo and enjoy what Moses is doing, but then end up fighting with him because I still want what's part of my past. Okay? Lord, would you please, I don't want to be one of those. <laughs> I want to be part of that Joshua generation that goes, you know what? I remember what we've come out of. And I want to move into the future. So Lord, join my heart. Do a work in the heart of chemistry. Can you please do that? Work in the heart of chemistry with those who are called to lead. Get it? And we could go on. But we're not going to. Four significant lessons that we see in these chapters. Moses learned in his leadership that things like clashes, confrontation... That type of thing were, were going to be consistent. And some of them were relational and some of them were just mental because people just think differently. Sometimes people went mental. That's a whole other story. Conflict, those type of things are inevitable. And conflicts from the outside because at the end of the day, there's a battle to be fought. There are Amalekites to be defeated. Collaboration is king. Having other people play their part so we all win victories together. Thirdly, Having people work together and clearly communicating roles. I know what I'm responsible for. I know what you're responsible for. And God will hold me accountable for what he's said to me. You're accountable to what God has said to you. And then thirdly, it's so important in leadership to have capable people with character, with similar chemistry. And somewhere in there, I hope that if you're leading a business, you can take some of that in practical terms. I hope that if you're part of a Community group, I've been to sit on the board of my basketball club for the last few years. I've seen how these things work and how they don't work in that capacity as well. And I trust whatever role or calling you may have. And you may think, Chad, I know leadership's important, but I know sitting here today, that is not my call. And no matter what capacity, I will never wear that name tag over me. In one sense, I'm going to say that's fine. But in another sense, I'll say, God has called you to relate to these people. So I hope you understand something of what they're trying to do. Church life, outside of church life, 
and hopefully we can all work together in walking into the promised land that God has for us. Because everything that was written in the past, Romans 15 verse 4, we've quoted every, most weeks of this series, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that by the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. These stories, these incidents, this little bit of incidental advice from a father-in-law are not incidental. They are purposeful and they're recorded for us. And we have something to learn from this. Amen. Why don't you stand? That helps me to finish. take his hand, that's okay go on, hold hands, I dare you to Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the good shepherd your sheep know your voice and you lead them to great places and as the leader of leaders today, we say we set our hearts to follow you We set apart Christ as the shepherd and overseer of our heart, Peter says. Be the Lord and leader of my heart. Today, I acknowledge you, Jesus, as King. You know, I don't know everyone here, but if you've never done that, if you've never acknowledged Jesus as the leader of your life, I'm going to use that word today, then you can do that today. Say, Jesus, I want you to lead me. I want you to lead my life because, quite frankly, I'm not quite convinced I'm the best at it. You can trust him because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. But you can also trust him because he knows what's best for you. He has wisdom beyond that that you will ever have. He is both Savior and Lord, the one who loves you and wants what's best the one who knows what's best and can lead you into that. So today, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never acknowledged Him as Lord, lover, leader of your life, then you can do that and we'd love to pray for you. For the rest of us, Lord, we thank you. You are our good shepherd and we submit our hearts to following you. We thank you for the capacities that each one of us have. I thank you for the calling that you've placed on my life. Whatever season of life I'm in now, I thank you. I'm not a mistake. I have purpose. And I thank you that you make that calling clearer and clearer. I thank you that you capacitate me to fulfill every good work you've laid ahead of me. For these people round about me, I say the same thing. Thank you for what you've called them to. Thank you for the things you've spoken to them. Thank you for the hand that is upon them today. And I pray that you would help me to help them be all they can be. I take my part and my place in community. And I say, Lord, I'll be responsible to help other people as best as I can to fulfill their call in you. I want to set up my brothers and sisters to succeed. 
And so I speak success over my brothers and sisters today. I speak success over them. Those who are captains of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands, those very different to me. I speak success over them today. Success in their businesses, success in their family, success in their parenting, success in their relationships, success in their leadership, in whatever sphere of life. Thank you that your spirit empowers them. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you today for your word and your spirit. And we pray that you would powerfully work whatever it is you wanted us to hear this today. You would work that powerfully within us. My heart is good soil. And I'm open to your ministry ongoingly through this week in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May He cause His face to shine ever brightly upon you. May His shalom peace that passes understanding guard your heart and guard your minds firmly and securely and safely in Christ. May His angels be encamped round about you. May you see Him beneath you as your solid foundation, above you as your open heaven. May He be alongside of you as your brother and lover. May He be behind you as your rear guard. May He be in front of you as your captain and commander. May you know His Spirit upon you, the fire of God that baptizes you from head to toe. And may you know His ever-present, indwelling presence that will never leave you and never forsake you. For He is faithful to the end. And I bless you with these words this morning. His awesome name. And if you receive it, just say, so be it. I'm glad you're here. If you wanted to respond to receiving Jesus today, those words resonated with you. I want Jesus to lead my life. The last pillar, the last banner up here on the wall says grace. We've got some people there ready to pray for you or to talk with you. If you have physical healing you want, a need met in that area today or someone to personally pray for you once you come forward and have that uh, avail yourself of that otherwise bless you have a great week today's the first day of a new week and hopefully we've set you up for a win enjoy tea and coffee with us $300 coffee is available in the, in the kitchen so bless you guys thank you This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.